Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. I'm going to read out of my Passion Bible a couple of things about the Apostle Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus. Acts chapter 8, you don't have to turn there, let me just read this to you. There in uh, verse 3 it says, Then Saul mercilessly, mercilessly persecuted the church of God, going from house to house into the homes of the believers to arrest both men and women and drag them off to prison. That's not very good behavior, is it? Especially toward the church. Chapter 7, let me read this in chapter 7. It says, speaking of Stephen, the great deacon of the church who God used so mightily. It says, his accusers covered their ears with their hands and screamed at the top of their lungs to drown out his voice. Then they pounced on him and threw him outside the city walls to stone him. His accusers, one by one, placed their outer garments at the feet of a young man named Saul of Tarsus. As they hurled stone after stone at at him, Stephen prayed, Our Lord Jesus, accept my spirit into your presence. And he crumpled to his knees and shouted in a loud voice, Oh Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Then he died. Now the first part of chapter 8, I Include that in it. says, Now Saul agreed to be an accomplice to Stephen stoning, participated in his execution. From that day on, a great persecution of the church in Jerusalem began, and all the believers scattered into the countryside of Judea and among the Samaritans, except the apostles who remained behind in Jerusalem. God-fearing men gave Stephen a proper burial and mourned greatly over his death. Then the first verse that we read, Then Saul mercilessly persecuted the church of God, going from house to house, into homes of believers to arrest both men and women and drag them off to prison. Could you imagine what that was like? Not only to see an execution of somebody, and, and you know, I mean, thank God we're a little more civil today and most executions that are done are done you know, behind prison walls and there's only a few that witness it. But that was done out in public. That wasn't hidden in a corner somewhere. That was done out in public. And publicly, this man Saul of Tarsus, publicly, he gave approval and authority to do it. Then upon that, that kind of gave him a, what would you call it, a, a zeal to, to, to raise his game to another level. And could you imagine what it must have been like to be a, young Christian family having come from church in Jerusalem Sunday morning service Wednesday night service and as you settled in for the night with your wife and children in bed there was a banging at the door and you went to the door and in rushed men and put you in chains and put your wife in chains and drug you out into the street as your children ran crying and screaming behind you that went on time after time after time after time now Of course, every time we teach the Word and preach the Gospel, we want it to to touch people's lives, to impart faith, to bring information and inspiration so there might be a demonstration of the Word of God. 
I've been aware of, especially in the past year. We did this last year with nobody at all. Nobody all, at all was here when we did this service last year. Nobody was here in this auditorium when we did our Easter service last year. 6,000 years after the fall of man, man remains on the earth in the fallen condition in which he is. And we're seeing a real manifestation, and I've called it this for years, and I, and I don't back off of my term. We've seen a real uh, a mastation, like a cancer would get in a body and mastate into the other organs. We've seen sin get into humanity and just mastate into the evil, wicked force that it is right now. And it is evil. And it is wicked. Lee and I were uh, having breakfast this morning and we just kind of, you know, we, sometimes we just turn on the TV to see what the weather's going to be. But the news was on and they were bringing all these statistics of how our nation in the last year has fallen into disarray. Some cities, the murder rate is up by over 200%. 200%. But then they had another statistic. Remember, Leah? Church attendance in America is the lowest it's ever been in the history of America. We, For the first time since we've been a nation, church attendance in America has fallen below 50%. It's at 47% and dropping right now. People are leaving churches in mass. You say, why is that happening? Because this is the last days. And there is an apostate spirit upon the earth. Paul said two different times in two different letters that there would be a spirit of apostasy and there'd be a falling away from the faith of those who were once enlightened with the Word of God. And I want to help all of us here tonight to understand what Jesus did for us to help us to serve Him. He didn't just create a philosophy or an idealism and said, I'm going to go away somewhere and, and leave you down here. You're on your own. Just you know, go ahead and do the best you can. He didn't do that. He did everything he could do to equip us, to empower us, to give us weapons. But listen, we've got to pick them up and use them. We've got to engage in the fight that's going on right now for the souls of men and women all over this earth. Without Jesus, men and women die and go to hell forever. Forever. But you have to understand, without Jesus, you as a believer, will live in, you'll live in hell on this earth. And there's no reason to do that when Jesus himself said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it in abundance. Now let me read one more scripture to you and then we'll get over to the ones I told you to, 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 to look at. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, there is an unusual portion of scripture I find it unusual. Studying it years ago and connecting it to the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ, it helped me see something. And in seeing that, it empowered me. Now let me just say this. That's what the Word of God is designed to do is to empower you. If you struggle to serve God, you say, Pastor, I'm telling you, I love God with all my heart. I love Jesus, I love the Word, I love prayer, but I'm telling you, I just, I, it's, it's hard for me to serve God. Listen, that's not some isolated thing. That's unique to every person that's ever bowed his knee to Jesus. And really what that is, is it's either an unwillingness or an ignorance to that which God has provided. Ignorance is not a bad word. Ignorance is just a lack of information. I remember when I first came back to the Lord years ago, I would tell you what, 
there was a big fear in me that I'd go back to my previous lifestyle. There were several times when I thought to myself, especially under pressure, how in the world am I going to live this life? How, how am I going to stay away from the drugs? How am I going to stay away from the, from the immoral thinking? How am I going to stay away from the lifestyle that I lived for so many years? How am I going to stay away from me? How am I going to stay away from that? And how am I going to get far enough away from it where it doesn't affect me anymore? See, the problem is we try to do it on our own and we try to serve God with human willpower. You will never be able to serve God with human willpower. You've got to tap into what God has provided for you in Christ and you have to use the precepts and principles of the Word of God to apply it to your life and engage in that which God says for you to engage in. You have to live for God. You have to live for God. This can't be a theater where you come and observe me put on an act. This has to be a schoolroom. This has to be a classroom where every time you come, you're being taught precepts and principles that have been proven not only in the life of the one that's teaching you, but in the lives of countless of people around the world as they have served God. Amen. Now this portion of scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, you don't have to turn there, just stay over there in uh, 1 Corinthians and we'll, let me find it here. Chapter 6, I know it's in here somewhere. Chapter 7, verse 2 says this, unusual scripture. Again I urge you, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. Again I urge you, make room for us in your hearts. Now listen to this. For we have, we have wronged no one, corrupted no one, taken, taken advantage of no one. I'm not saying this to, 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 con, to condemn you, for I'm already told that, that we carry you permanently in our hearts and you'll stay there throughout all of our lives. Now listen to it again. I urge you, make room for us in your hearts. Now listen. This is the part that's so unique. For we. Now that word we would include who? That would include whoever's traveling with Paul. At that time, traveling with Paul was Luke traveling with him and Timothy. They were traveling with Paul. So when he said we, he's including Timothy and he's including Luke in this statement. Are you with me? Now he's saying this. We have wronged no one. I want you, it's, it's simple. Don't try, to, don't try to reach out with your mind like it's some complicated thing. No, we have wronged no one. We have wronged no one, have corrupted no one, and taken advantage of no one. Now, what if you would have lived approximately 20 to 22 years previously to that in Jerusalem? What if you would have been one of those saints who was scattered because this man's persecution broke up your home, broke up your family, destroyed your business, caused you to lose your job, and you had to run to Corinth just to live? Amen? What would you have said to that guy standing up there and saying, I ain't wronged anybody. I ain't corrupted anybody. King James says it like this. I hadn't defrauded anybody. I hadn't hurt nobody. How in the world could he say that? You could have been sitting on the front row or something and said, now wait a minute, wait a minute. Aren't you Saul of Tarsus? You broke into my house. You put me in chains in front of my, uh, in front of my chain. You killed my best friend, Stephen. 
murdered him in the street. See, the number one thing the enemy uses against you is the weight of your past. And your past is this afternoon, this morning, and yesterday, and day before yesterday, and last week, and week before last. And he will take that and use that like a baseball bat against you unless you have a place in your life to rid yourself of that. Now, the scriptures I ask you to turn to, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 17. Christ sent me not to baptize. He's speaking of water baptism here. Not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with the wisdom of words, least the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is unto them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Listen to it in the Amplified. I like it in the Amplified. Just, just verse 18. It says, For the story and message of the cross is sheer absurdity and folly to those who are perishing and on their way to perdition. But to us who are being saved, it is the manifestation of the power of God. Are you with me? Now Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I'm going to read it in a couple of translations and we'll talk about it just for a moment see where it takes us it's always good to see where the word of God takes us amen verse 20 uh, King James I am now this is the apostle Paul speaking I am crucified with Christ I am crucified with Christ nevertheless I live yet not I but Christ liveth in me and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved and gave Himself for me. Amplified. I have been crucified with Christ. In Him I have shared His crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ the Messiah lives in me. And the life I now live in the body I live by the faith and in by adherence to and reliance on and complete trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now listen to it in Galatians. I like it. My old identity has been co-crucified with Christ or with the Messiah and no longer lives for the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of his new life, now the essence of this new life is no longer mine, for the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. 
For the preaching of the cross is unto them that perish foolishness, but unto us that are saved, it is the power. Now, I love it. Well, if it's power, it's power. Where is this power? What is the power of the cross? Everybody say the word identity. Your life on earth, however many years you've lived, give you an identity. Precious little uh, Victoria. She's, how old is she? A few months. Nine weeks old. That's pretty young. But in nine weeks, she has an identity. In nine weeks, there is an identity for a nine-year-old child. Your life consists of everything that you've experienced, everything that you've done, everything that you are, the good, bad, and the ugly. There are so many factors to your identity. Your, your gender, your race, your education, how much money you do or don't have, your skills, your abilities. All of it makes us very unique in who we are. But every one of us shared a common identity upon this earth when we were born onto the earth. We were born into sin and iniquity. And that sin and iniquity in our life became one of the realities of our identity by creating in us a past that is negative. How many wish you never done some of the things you've done? How many of you, some of the things you've done still affects your life today? Well, from this night forward, it shouldn't. That's the power of the cross. That's the power of the cross. Now, we could just get up there and throw it out like that, but you've got to see the application of it, and that's why I read you Acts chapter, last part of Acts chapter 7, first part of Acts chapter 8, and that's why I read you 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I wanted you to see Saul of Tarsus and the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 9 is a glorious story of the Apostle Paul had gotten arrest warrants from the Sanhedrin who were the religious law of the land. Rome had allowed them to continue to rule religiously because they felt like if they broke the religious rule, it would cause insurrection. The Jewish people would rise up against them. They wanted to control and tax, not just kill everybody. So he, he's got a big briefcase full of arrest warrants with names of all kinds of believers. You know where he got those names? You know where he got those names? He got them from the people that he tortured, that he arrested in Jerusalem as they gave up their brothers, their sisters, their church members. And so he's armed with that and he's heading for Damascus to take care of business. And what happened? Well, it wasn't some sovereign act of God. Well, it was a sovereign act of God. No, it wasn't. The church was praying because Jesus told them to pray over those that would what? Persecute you. So I guarantee you the church was praying. Not only that, his journey took him through all that area in which Jesus had been doing miracles and signs and wonders. The land was preaching to him. And by the time he got on that main drag into Damascus, he was ready and a light shined from heaven brighter than a noonday sun. And Saul of Tarshish fell on his knees and got born again. 
Three days later, he was baptized in the Holy Ghost, and the Bible says he began to dispute and begin to declare the goodness of God and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are years in the Bible in which we have no record of what's going on in his life. There's 14 years in a desert that he spent receiving the revelation that became the letters to the church. And I guarantee you, the number one ball bat, battering ram of Satan that he used against the Apostle Paul was his past when he was Saul of Tarsus. Could you imagine the thoughts that would come into his mind by the devil that would speak into his mind? Who do you think you are? You're trying to get some kind of uh, authority with these people that you have killed, that you have locked up in prison, that you have tortured, that you have humbled them in front of their children and made them look weak, that you have persecuted, you've shut down churches, you've scattered them all over the world. Who do you think you are to be doing what you think God's called you to do? Amen. You think he fought that? I guarantee you he did. So much of his writing talks about two different things. It talks about the cross and it talks about death. And I can hear the controversy in the Apostle Peter when he writes his letters to the church and makes this statement. We need to listen to the Apostle Paul because he says some things that are hard to hear. So I can see him anguishing over his past. Guilty. Condemned. Not only by his own thoughts and memories of what had gone on, but by thinking about having to stand in front and be in front of people he had done it to. Even though it was a glorious testimony, I guarantee you in his mind was still the fear of blame, retribution, unforgiveness, you name it. I don't know if he got it in vision form. Much of his redemptive revelation he got because he was caught up to the third heaven and heard things that was not legally or lawful for you to say with your mouth. But his revelation of the cross as revealed in Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Him. Nevertheless, I live. That gives us insight right there into what He was going through as He began to, I don't know if He saw it in a dream, in vision form. God just impressed it into His spirit. But I can see Him one day anguishing over His past and thinking, I wish I was dead. Because at least if I was dead, I would not have to suffer the temptation of what I got myself into before I served God. Or for believers, what I've got myself into since I served God. Because 99 and 9 tenths percent of everything we're going through right now is self-inflicted. We, we just need to acknowledge it. So I like to think it was a vision that he saw. That he was looking worshiping God, praying out in that desert. And then all of a sudden, the, the sand and the, and the sky and everything just disappeared. And there's Jesus on the cross hanging there. I don't know if you've ever tried to get that into your imagination. I know I've watched some of the movies. and uh, the, the one particular, I can't watch it. I get too emotional when I see it. 
Passion of the Christ. I, I can't watch that. And I know that it was even worse than what that is, but that's Jesus. That's, that's, that's the one who saved me. I don't want to see him beat. I don't want to see, I, don't, I know he's just an actor. I still don't want to see it. But I recognize and realize that upon that cross, there was a power released. If there wasn't, the Bible wouldn't have said it. I've watched that power deliver people from drug addiction, deliver them from, 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 from emotional mindsets that were destructive, deliver them from poverty, deliver them from religion, deliver them from all kinds of things in their past and empower them to live an overcoming life. So, so, so maybe he saw it in a vision. Maybe he looks up and there's Jesus hanging on the cross. And he's beat and he's bloody and they pull his beard out. And he's, he's hanging there. And God says to him, what do you see? He says, I see Jesus. And I see him suffering. And in that vision, the Roman soldier walks up to the lifeless body of Jesus. Takes that, they call it a dart. It's a long spear, but it's got a heavy handle on it. Thrust it up under his ribs into the heart sack. And the water and blood spews out. What do you see, Paul? I see Jesus. Well, what's Jesus doing, Paul? He's dying. He's dead. Is he a man? No. He's son of man in his flesh. But he's son of God. And he looks and God says, look a little closer. And he looks. Maybe he gets emotional. Maybe he begins to weep. It's Jesus. He's dying. Jesus and God says look a little closer and he looks a little closer and he's stunned by what he sees he's absolutely stunned he doesn't just see Jesus he sees his own face he sees a reflection of himself he sees the apostle Paul he sees Saul of Tarsus then the revelation comes I've provided a death in which you can enter into and still live. But it won't be you living. It'll be me living in you. And the life you live in that flesh by the power of the cross will break you free from the life you used to live before you know me. Therefore, you can say in front of people that you have wronged and people that you have defrauded, I've wronged no man. I've defrauded no man. They say, but you're Saul of Tarsus. But say, let me show you where he died. He's dead to sin. He's dead to his past. He's dead to the addiction. He's dead to all, all the mistakes. All of the past does not exist. Let me tell you something, church. If it does not exist in God's mind, it should not exist in yours. Power that is unapplied is useless. I came back to the Lord in the spring of the year, in March, and really didn't know what to do. I prayed a lot, read my Bible, went to every service I could. 
prayed and found the will of God to go to Bible school, enrolled in Bible school, started Bible school in the fall. Found it very difficult to be a student. Begin to experience some of the regret of the past. Words of prophecy spoken over me when I was a child about ministry did not echo positively in my mind, but negatively. How I had missed 12 years of not serving God and brought great destruction upon myself. Then thankfully, at a day service where there was about 50 people up in Mount Bellevue, Texas, an old acquaintance of our family, a wonderful preacher named Mark Hankins, gave me a complete set of his tapes and he is to this day probably the most masterful teacher on redemption I've ever heard in my life and I actually listened to him I had there were six six four tape albums that I literally listened to him till they were broke couldn't listen to him anymore but the first couple of them that I listened to all teaching on redemption began to emphasize over and 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 over. This information does you no good unless you believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth over and over and over and over and over and over because when you do that over and over and over it releases the power of the cross. What is the power of the cross? I'll tell you what it is. It's the power of death. It's the power of death. We'll talk Sunday morning on the power of life, which is in the resurrection. Some of you just ain't dead enough yet for that real life of the resurrection to work in you. To the human experience. The human experience began 6,000 years ago. Before that, I don't know what was on the earth. I don't know what was happening. All I know is about the time I'm living. To the human experience, the word death does not mean the cessation of life. Because when you die, your life ends on the earth, but it goes on somewhere else. That's one of the big dilemmas of the fallen human mind is, is there life after death? Yes, there is. These plants die, they're dead. They'll be thrown away. Other things die, they're dead. There is a cessation of life. But for the human being, there is never a cessation of life. And because of that, you've got to create another definition for the word death. And in studying the scripture, both Greek, Hebrew, going into different Aramaic language, the, the, Latin, the word death for the human experience means separation. There are three time, types of death unique to us as humans. The first and the most destructive is spiritual death. And because we were identified in one man and one woman, all of us are born dead. It revives itself 
around the age five, six, seven, eight. Paul said, I was alive unto God, but sin revived and I died. And that brings with it a force called iniquity, which is the motivation to sin. Man, are we ever seeing that break out right now? The second type of death is physical death. God never created you to physically die. Physical death is an anomaly that took place because of spiritual death. Those men and women in the Bible that lived hundreds and hundreds of years, God did not allow them to live hundreds and hundreds of years to procreate the earth, then destroy it in Noah's day. They lived so long because they did not know how to die. It took their bodies that long to wear out. The residue of God was still in humanity. And it took some of them eight, nine hundred years to die. But they did die, and their spirit man was separated from their bodies. Their spirit man either went into Abraham's bosom. Before Abraham, I do not know. The Bible is not clear exactly where human spirits went. But it was separated from the physical body, and the physical body went back to the dust it was created from. Now, the spiritually separated or the spiritually dead that physically die go into the third type of death, which is eternal death or eternal separation from God. So death carries a power. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he made this statement. I'm he that was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death, hell and the grave. So he provided on the cross a power of separation to separate you from anything you were before you got saved. Because God sees you this way through his eyes. You're a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things are new for you. But that power is never realized. That power is never experienced. That power is never walked in unless you release it. It begins by you understanding. When one man sinned, that gave God the right to use one man to redeem us. When we were identified in one man's fall, that gave God the right to identify every whosoever would call upon the name of his son the right to be identified in his resurrection. And where spiritual death, physical death, and eternal death had reigned Lord over humanity for decades and centuries, its power was broken. 2,000 years ago when Emmanuel, God with us, stretched his hands upon the cross and took your spiritual death so that you don't have to. Then he left in his word. Jesus said the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. He left, deposited in his word a power that just like the power that brought you salvation, resurrection power, the power of the cross brings you separation so that you can see yourself like God sees you, a new creature in Christ Jesus. 
Old things passed away. All things become new. I remember as I begin to, I begin to hear that. Day after day, I'd come home. That little, I had a little, old, I think I paid fifteen dollars for. A, remember those square cassette players? They lift up the top, put them in there, cut it off. I mean, that thing. Went, by the time I'd listen to those things about two hundred times a piece, it squeak. <laughs> I didn't hear the squeak. I kept hearing the words. And in his teaching, Brother Mark said, you got to say it. Every day you got to say it. Every day you got to speak it. Every day you got to declare, I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things are new. I'm crucified with him. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved and gave himself for me. You got to say it. You got to say it. You got to say it. He that knew no sin was made sin on my behalf. Because of that, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. You got to say it. You got to say it. You got to say it. And the more you say it, the further you get, the more you're separated from the power of sin, unrighteousness, and iniquity that has trained your mind and your flesh not to serve God. But if you don't say it, I like what he said. I, I still hear his words. If you don't say it, you're going to drag a dead man around your whole life. And the dead always end up stinking. And your life will stink with a stench. And you'll be the most miserable person on the earth. Because you're a person with knowledge without power. And you're a person with revelation without application. There's no worse place to be. It'd be better, the apostle Peter said, it'd be better if you'd never heard if you'd never heard, than to hear it and reject it. In closing, as we live at a time in which man's separation from God is at its strongest, sin is at its strongest, iniquity is at its strongest, what is motivating people right now, The we watched a deal today that just we just looked at each other and went, what? Some rapper bought a bunch of tennis shoes and wanted to turn them into devil shoes. He said, that's just a story. Let me tell you something. There's something to that. That you put 666 on a shoe, a pentagram, and a drop of blood. Did you know what that is? That's trying to get every person that puts some shoes on their feet possessed by a devil. That's an open door is what that is. See, people don't even realize, oh, that's cute, that's good. Are you out of your mind? We are in a fight Amen. with darkness. And we are the light of the world. And God has placed in us an eternal redemptive force that began at the cross where His death was your death so that His life can become your life. I heard a man years ago who was a Muslim and he was... He was very mixed up in, about religion, about God. And he was a, he was a fighter pilot. He, he flew a jet airplane. And he had a great testimony. And his testimony is that one day he was still in the military. I believe he was in pa uh, uh, not, not, not Pakistan, but uh, no, no, it's, it's the uh, 
Bangladesh, that the, the part of the Bangladeshi government and all that stuff. Anyway, he was a he was a fire department. He was going to get all of the religious books he could find, and he was going to lay them all out. He's going to open them all up. He's going to go one by one by one by one. And if he didn't find God, at the end of it, he was going to put his his military uh, uh, sidearm, his his handgun. He's going to blow his brains out. So he had the he had the Quran. He had teachings of the Hindu religion. He had Buddhist books. He had other books. And the very last one sitting next to his. His, his 45 automatic was the Bible. And he went, one, he went to each one. He said, I, I, I've heard him tell his testimony at least a dozen times. Jacob Curran was his name. And he would, he would stand at one. He said, I would humbly say, oh God, if you're the God of, the, if this, if, if the God of, the, of this book, if you're real, please reveal, reveal yourself to me. I have to know you. I have to know you. I'm so empty. And he'd go book to book to book. He said he got to the last one. There the Bible laid open. And he said he, he lifted up his eyes. As he lifted up his eyes, a shaft of light came through the ceiling and hit the Bible. And he looked up that shaft of light, and Jesus was standing at the top with his arms open like this. And he said, Jacob, you don't have to die. I died for you. And he made Jesus his Lord and Savior right then and there and became a powerful... I don't know if he's still alive or not. He, he may have gone on to be with the Lord. He was, I knew him back in the, in the mid-'80s. But what a powerful testimony the saving power of God. But remember what Peter said in Acts chapter 2. After the church was filled with the Holy Ghost and the power of God, he said, save yourself from this wicked and untoward generation. There is a magnetic pull on you that you have never experienced before. There is a pull on you as a believer the world is not experiencing. There are spiritual forces unleashed in, this, unleashed in this world right now that are pulling on your mind, that are pulling on your soul, that are trying to activate appetites, that are trying to resurrect old memory, that's doing everything it can do to pull you further and further and further away from God. As God in all of His goodness and all of His grace stands with an empty cross and an empty tomb and a blood-soaked altar in heaven. And He beckons you to serve Him with all your heart in these last days and to be an example of what the true meaning of salvation is in the earth so that when people see you, they think saved. Not only will He save us out of all this that is going on, but He will preserve us, reserve us, empower us, and push us forth into this world to be the living lights at the darkest time the earth has ever seen. I don't know what your struggle is tonight. If it be something in the flesh, where you struggle with the drugs, alcohol, some perverse lifestyle, if it be in your mind where you're constantly just tormented by thoughts. But your life, don't get mad at me for saying this. Your life is what you have made out of it. You can hold up the victim card all day long and say, they did it to me, they did it to me. But in reality, it's what we do to ourselves that causes the most damage. Walking the floor of my parents' home on 
2714 Belush, right over here, a few blocks away. Day after day after day. Poor student at school, failing grades. But the more I said it, the more power I got. And the more I said it, the further I got away from who I used to be to the point that at the end of school, I graduated with honors and got a certificate for perfect attendance. I could have never done that in my own mind or my own flesh. It was Christ in me, the hope of glory. And I have maintained that same confession 37, over 37 years now. And I still declare every day, I'm crucified with Him. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved and gave Himself for me. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. I don't want to give an altar call where people have to come up. But I do want you to use tonight as a place in which you make a decision. And it's a simple one to make. You may be saved. You may have been saved for 35, 40, 45, 50 years. You might have gotten saved last week. I don't know. But you're a believer that has struggled. And your struggle has been in the life of your iniquity and your sin that keeps trying to encroach into the holiness and righteousness that God has given you. That opens the door for great guilt and condemnation that will work on you and work on you and make you feel unworthy, make you feel unholy, frustrate you. And your spiritual life becomes one of, from time to time, maybe in a church service or a song that you hear on the radio you sense that presence of God that you so long for it touches your emotions and then the enemy uses that thing against you and begins to condemn you all over again but you serve a God whose love cannot be measured has to be experienced but you have to be willing to take the information that you get and apply it to your life and that turns on the power switch. What you believe in your heart and what you say in your mouth releases the power of God to separate you from an identity that wants to kill you and helps you walk in, a, in an identity of life. So with no one looking around, eyes closed, Reverence your brothers and sisters that sit next to you. And with your head bowed in reverence to the Lord, in just a moment I'm going to pray a prayer for every person that will raise their hand and say, that's me, Brother Rusty, I need this. If this is your heart, if you say this, what you've taught tonight about the cross and its power and how I should believe it, how I should confess it, how that power will work for me if I do. I'm asking God tonight where I'm weak to make me strong. Where I have been unwilling, unable, 
to even say the words. I'm saved. But I've not confessed what God says about me. I've not let the identity change of my spirit become so preeminent that it takes over my mind and my flesh so that even my mind and flesh serve God. Let me just say this as a testimony to God and His power. It's worked for me for 37 years. And it's working stronger today than it ever has before in my life. Daily I need electric power. Daily I need the power of my vehicle. And daily I need the power of God. So if you say, Pastor Rusty, that's me. I just need the power of the cross working in my life. And where I'm weak, I'm trusting God to make me strong. I want you to put up your hand, bring it down real quick. Hands on. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Everybody look this way. Lift your hands to heaven. Everyone pray this out loud. Heavenly Father, tonight, as I sit in your presence, I am humbled that I serve a God that loves me so much He would dare leave His deity, come down to the earth, be made in the likeness of men, suffer and endure the shame and death of the cross so that its power, the power of death, would be released to separate me from everything in my life that has bound me to my past, to sin, to addiction, to unrighteousness, to perversion. I've been so weak. But where I'm weak, I thank you, Father. You make me strong. So tonight, by the words of my mouth, I confess I am crucified with Him. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved and gave Himself for me. Now, Heavenly Father, I'm asking You by the power of the Spirit that abides in me and comes upon me to help this night to be a starting point in which day after day, week after week, month after month, out of my heart, through my lips, comes those words of life empowering me to be the new creature God says I am. Now lift your hands and thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Come on, lift your hands and thank you. Lift your hands and thank you. Lift your hands and worship. Lift your hands and worship. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we worship you. Lord, we glorify your name. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord God. This is your answer. This is your answer. 
So many people think this, church. Oh, if I could just get in a service somewhere where someone could come and lay their hands on me and break all this bondage. Oh, well, haven't you been in enough service? That person never showed up, has he? He's not there. He's not there. And if anyone says that they can, they're lying. Living for Christ is a new life. It's a new life that's entered into every day. If you've taken some steps back, take some steps forward tonight. Resolve in your heart that old things have passed away and that all things are new for you. Let go. Let go. Let go of whatever it is. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, lay aside every sin and weight that does us so easily beset us. Lay it aside. Let go. God will empower you. Use your willpower, but empower your own will with the Word of God, which empowers you with God's power. And every redemptive truth, let me tell you something, church, that same scripture will work for healing. I'm crucified with Him. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live. Thank you, Father. Upon the cross, He took stripes. I am dead to that cancer. I am dead to that tuberculosis. I am dead to that diabetes. I am dead. You can die to anything you want to. The Muslim religion prays a prayer. I believe it's a God-inspired prayer. I believe literally God Almighty in heaven inspired the Muslims to pray this prayer. They call God Allah. So they say, Oh Allah! Oh Allah! For a life! For a death in which there is no life. So that I might have a life in which there is no death. What a prayer. They don't have to pray anymore. It's been answered. And what's the answer? Jesus is the answer. Amen. Stand on your feet. Father, we're so thankful. As we continue Easter weekend, celebrate your goodness. Father, we thank you now we've come to the cross. Thank you on Sunday. We're going to live in the life of the resurrection. Thank you, Lord God, for all you've done for us in Christ. Thank you that the Word is alive. The Word is living. The Word is powerful. And by the Word of God, we leave tonight walking in its protection and safety. Thanking you, Lord, no evil befalls us. No plague comes nigh our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. We thank you, Lord, whether we travel on the highways, the airways, the seaways, or the railways, we are protected. Lord, and we also thank you that in life's endeavors, in all that we do, so much out there, so much violence, so much crime, so much disease, but we stand on the glory side. We stand on the deliverance side. We push back against it all and declare we abide under the shadow of the Most High. So Father, we thank you for safety, blessing, and protection in all that we do, and that you return us here on Sunday morning to continue to drink of the well of the water of life and to eat of the bread that only Jesus is. In Jesus' name we pray.
Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.